0: Welcome to The Spotlight with the Ambassador and the Chief. In this program, we take a fresh look at some of today's challenges. From the economy, education, politics, security, defense, and much more, you'll be prompted to see and think about things just a bit differently. Now, here are your hosts, Ambassador Harry Thomas and Chief Alex Morales. Welcome to The
1: Spotlight. We are your hosts. Ambassador Harry Thomas, retired and I'm Alex Morales, the chief. Harry, who do we have today?
2: We have Miss Rocio Nujia. I will call her Tita Chi. <laughs> she is a great friend of mine and our families, a wonderful role model, not only for the Filipino American community, but women and all immigrants and Americans. She is a wonderful person and we will learn about her incredible life story today. Great. Welcome, Ms. Tita.
1: How you doing,
3: ma'am? Doing fine. It's cold in Southern California right now. That's <laughs> it's so a very, very cold
1: inside out here. <laughs> well, thank you for taking the time. But before we start, Harry, can you give us a shout out to our listeners?
2: Yes, we want to thank our listeners around the world. Um, we have listeners in the United States, Zimbabwe, Ireland, Israel, China, Brazil, France, the Netherlands, Korea, Côte d'Ivoire. Canada, Kenya, Mexico, Japan, the Philippines, Costa Rica, Chile, and Venezuela. As of today, we have over 1,894 listeners that we wanna wish Merry Christmas, Happy New Year. Thank you for listening
1: everyone, it's a pleasure. Well, Ms. Rocio, can you please tell
3: us a little bit about yourself and your family, please? Sure, okay. Um, You know, it's difficult to talk about yourself, but let me start by saying that I am a retired business management executive, having worked for three U.S. companies in a span of 36 years on credit card processing. I am widowed. I was widowed at a young age, as Ambassador Harry has mentioned earlier. Uh, I raised five professional children. And I'm proud to say that my oldest actually is a nursing professor, a nursing administrator for our leading hospital here in Southern California. So he is a frontliner. I raised five children. I have seven grandchildren, the second oldest of whom is also a frontliner, uh, having completed a collegiate course in paramedics and on to become a fire, uh, fireman. Um, I am retired. I get myself involved in community activities and, uh, you know, being locked down right now uh, gives us a time to really reflect on what's going on in America. And that's what I'm doing right now.
2: Tita, please tell us about your immigrant experience, because that's so important to whom you are.
3: Okay. That is a wonderful and life-changing experience for me. My late husband was born to an American mother and a Filipino father in the Philippines. So at age 18, he uh, acquired his American citizenship by pledging allegiance to the United States of America at the uh, U.S. Embassy in the Philippines. And so during that time of the Marcus administration and regime, it was a time of reflection for my family, specifically my husband, who said that I have to immigrate. I have to bring. I have to go home. I have to bring my family to the country where they where they are free, that will they where they will enjoy human rights and democratic freedom. So in 1984, we went. I was kind of, you know, apprehensive. Because having been born and raised in the Philippines, and all of a sudden the idea of coming to America and immigrating to America was a very big and challenging concept for us. But we went to the US Embassy, did uh, what we were supposed to do, and that was my first wonderful experience of getting a taste of the American system, the American way of processing. In 30 days, we immigrated. So we came in 1984. And, um, you know, since then, uh, my family, my youngest then was only about five years old. Uh, We were all all hesitant, who were hesitant to come to the United States, but we have acclimated ourselves. We have uh, lived the American life. And I'd like to say that we achieved and realized the American dream. I'm a Filipino-American but half of me is very American right now. It was a wonderful experience for me and my family.
1: Oh, wow. This is incredible. Well, how did you ascend to the corporate ladder to become a vice president? Well, in
3: 1984, the way I ascended, At, upon retirement, I was the vice president for the largest credit card processing center in the United States. And how I did that, my first job was really for a retail company uh, as an office clerk, became an office manager, became a regional trainer uh, that, you know, I traveled all over the United States to, uh, to, to train uh, employees for the corporate you know, environment, uh, and then I, I, I then moved up. I would say that determination, uh, character, uh, commitment to work, and empathy, and being able to uh, connect with people, with my employees, and I think that's how I did it. That's how did, I did it.
1: Did you find it different, uh, difficult to
3: do it as an immigrant and a woman? That's a very good question. As a matter of fact, I had to prove myself double, double the way the other (laughs) employees, uh, you know, I was the only woman, uh, a tiny woman who spoke with an accent in a boardroom of... populated by men from Ivy schools, educated in Ivy schools. And I was an immigrant, And oh, then wow. I guess, you know, I had uh, a communication skill that was able co- to communicate and express strategic planning uh, and policies that proved to be profitable for the company. And of course, you know, being a Filipina and the, the inherent, you know, um, I guess that there's an inherent kindness and empathy to people around you that, that served me well. And so that's how I was able to achieve at the, at the time of my retirement, I ended up with a vice president position, which is the highest position, which the next position would be to be the owner of the company. And, <laughs> you know.
1: <laughs> not bad at all, not bad at all. Well,
2: Tita, please tell us today you're running Grace Event Planning what is what is that
3: I'm sorry, say that again.
2: Tell us about what Thank you're me. doing today with your event planning company.
3: Oh, okay, how it happened was when my oldest daughter got married, and then we found out that the artistic flair and the style that she was looking for she could not find in the you know vendors that we got in contact with. And so she and I contrived that perhaps we should just go ahead and do our own event planning ourselves, and so that that was what that was how it got started. And from that point on, I I, I was actually focusing on it as a sideline was while working full time for the corporate world, uh, simply because I found out that you know, after the wedding, my daughter's wedding, people started coming to me. I did not solicit them. They came to me and that's how it started. So I'm into event planning, uh, corporate meetings. I I participate in planning it, you know, uh, reaching out to, to, um, to speakers, uh, guest speakers that would grace the, uh, significant events that I planned weddings. I do that too. And, uh, so now, but I have slowed down a little bit, Harry. Age is creeping up, and uh, although I still do it, uh, it's fun. It's really fun, and that's how, and that's what it is. It's grace event planning.
2: I can't believe you slowed down. You're always doing something, Tita. <laughs>
1: always. <laughs> So what type of event you actually uh, are doing? Are they all corporate or uh, are they all, you know? Fundraisers.
3: Uh, I am okay. very proud to say that when there is a need to fundraise, for example, uh, let me cite you an example. Like four years ago, I'm sure you've heard about the the, the strongest typhoon that hit land, Typhoon Haiyan, uh, yes. Yolanda. It was called the Yolanda in the Philippines. And so Tacloban was the town that got really graced to the ground and it affected my alma mater. I went to a, Saint, uh, to a school in the Philippines, the Saint Scholastica's College, and one of the schools, the sister school in, in Tacloban, got graced to the ground. So that inspired me to uh, plan a fundraiser for them to start building, to start rebuilding. And, uh, and uh, it, it's causes like this, such as this that encourages me and inspire me as a way of, and I always say, paying it forward, uh, you know, sharing myself. In retirement, I think you have to put meaning to a retired life by getting involved in, in, in significant causes, charitable causes, you know, humanitarian causes. And that's what I'm doing right now. Uh, I, I'm proud to say that, you know, my fundraiser events have been uh, very highly successful. They have broken myths. Oh, people will wow. come to me and say, it's too ambitious. I don't think people will pay $300 for a dinner, you know, and a fundraiser. <laughs> <laughs> but I've proven them wrong. And in a span of four to five hours, the fundraisers really brought in uh, the funds that uh, are needed to support every building of a school, which we did when we did the fundraiser for Huyen and Yolanda.
2: We'd like to let our listeners know that Takloban is Leyte, where MacArthur returned, Correct. Uh, Very important area. And Tita is being modest. I attended that fundraiser in Hancock Park uh, (laughs) in a house that was once owned by the great actor Douglas Fairbanks and his wife. It's been used in numerous movies, including Taken One and Two.
3: Correct. Right
2: across the street from where Muhammad Ali used to live. (laughs) It was was something, (laughs) Alex.
1: Oh, wow. So sure. she was putting it, she's putting it very humbly and wow, it was. Yeah.
3: <laughs> the ambassador was actually my guest, uh, my uh, special guest, my guest of honor.
1: Oh, that is nice. That is perfect.
3: Yeah.
1: Peter, if I may, if I, if I may, I, I, I'm I'm very interested about when you reach out a little bit, go back to you, your vice president position, because uh, Harry and I always talk about, and I always ask Myself, a Spanish speaker with a you know person with an accent. I always thought that it was sometimes challenging because I was judged by the way I sound or look, or not by my, you know by my capacity or or, the, or my abilities to perform X and Y. What do you thought about that in the corporate world?
3: In the corporate world, uh, I was I kind of took on a position where. I would be firm. I I would say well, I would be firm and resolute in my position. Uh, like I mentioned earlier, I I prepared for it. Let me cite you an example, Alex. Uh, we used to have uh, corporate meetings, once a month corporate meetings where each department head were expected to report on what's going on on their respective departments. Unlike most of the department heads, I would come into that meeting fully prepared with a report that was fully comprehensive, printed out, and distributed to everyone who attended. I was the only one who did that. And I did that primarily because I wanted to be prepared. Given that, I was very aware that I would be speaking with an accent. I would probably be challenged because I was the only woman in the room. And so I really came prepared. You know, I researched. I, I, I made sure that I got – I headed seven departments – You know, seven departments were reporting to me, so it was it was kind of convoluted sometimes and kind kind of really stressful and high pressured. But I made the point that each department had their monthly reports turned into me, who then and then I take those reports and summarize them for submission to the owner of the company, who was the CEO. And so, despite the accent despite me being the only woman in the room, I made sure that I prepared for those corporate meetings.
1: Oh, that's awesome. I
3: anticipated the challenges. I anticipated those who would disagree and I was prepared with an answer.
1: And we prepare with an answer. We're gonna take a short break and we'll be right back.
2: The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com
0: You are listening to The Spotlight with the Ambassador and the Chief. If you have a question or a comment about the program, drop us a line via email to support at dbaecsolutions.com. Again, that's support at dbaecsolutions.com. Now back to the spotlight.
2: Tita, please tell us, what is the Filipino American National Finance Council?
3: All right. That's a very good question, uh, Ambassador. It actually started with an intriguing question that I received from a phone call from, you know, a lady who you know very well, my friend Lloyd Nicolas Lewis, and uh, it was an intriguing question. The question was, what do I think about, you know, gathering one million Filipino Americans to vote for Biden as president, knowing the grit and willpower and determination of the lady. Uh, I first retorted, Well, I said uh, it is kind of, one million Filipino Americans for Biden is kinda ambitious, but knowing her grit like i said i said let 's do it so a core group of three women was um, was formed. It started with Loida, a phone call to me, and I suggested a third person, Gloria Kawili, to form the core group and uh so, the Filipino Americans for Biden movement was was born on June 8th of this year and as of the last count we have over 2000 membership who signs up on an interactive website called the Filipino Americans Number 4 Biden. And then it grew. It evolved into the Young Filipino Americans for Biden when uh, uh, President-elect Biden uh, chose Kamala Harris as his running mate, uh, the movement even grew bigger. And so it expanded to a point where elected Filipino-American leaders got involved. So we grew the movement, we fundraised, and... uh, and the uh, the intention, the intent, really is to support is to support the election of Biden, because there are four million as of uh, the twenty eighteen census. There's four million Filipino Americans in the United States, and you know they're saying wow. that it could even be six million Filipino Americans now as of twenty twenty. So uh, the movement is still very active. It's so active, uh, Ambassador and, and Alex, that in October we were able to invite the incoming First Lady Jill Biden to be our guest speaker in a Zoom meeting that we organized. Because the movement has then grew, uh, has then um, organized Zoom meetings, town hall meetings, inviting, you know, speakers uh, in support of Biden and Harris. So, and and because of that, it started with the Filipino uh, Americans for Biden and Harris, but then it grew into the Filipino American National Finance Council, which then aims to keep on being active so that we can support Filipino Americans, uh, you know, capable, candidates to have a seat at the table, and not just Filipino-Americans, but candidates who are worthy of a seat at the table, you know. So this is what, this is, it then evolved from the Filipino-Americans for Biden. It now, it also evolved into a subcommittee, which is now called the Filipino-Americans National Finance Council, which will continue to fundraise for uh, future elections and we're putting our sights in the next 2024 presidential election. We will be there. We raised 250,000 for Biden uh, from this movement. And uh, because it's still very active, it's very potent, so to speak, Uh, people are getting interested, getting excited to participate in it. That's what it is.
1: Oh wow! I I didn't realize there was six mil, up to six million Filipino Americans in the United States. That's, uh, that's, that's yeah. I'm, I'm amazed. Uh, with yes, that. wow. It's
3: it's unofficial. It's it is an unofficial estimate, but they're pegging the pegging the number that as of 2020 there are now six million Filipino Americans in the United States, and it's the fastest growing population. Uh, under the umbrella of the Asian American Pacific Islander, uh, which, uh, by the way, I am in the advisory council of the Asian of the AAPI Victory Fund, and I'm proud to say that in this last election, out of the 250 that we we uh, fundraised, 75,000 of that came from one person who I. Approached 75,000 of that came from one person that took care of uh, the um, political ads in Texas.
1: Oh, wow, yeah. that is impressive!
3: And so, Filipino American did that, uh, donated without blinking an eye 75,000.
1: We need to ask Rosia <laughs> to, to to do a fundraiser for us. <laughs> it's a joke. As you mentioned that you helped raise uh, over 250000 what was the intent of the activism?
3: You know, it's very clear. We need to make America, America again. This divisive, Rhetor- rhetorics and the sowing of fear and anger and hatred has to stop. We need to bring back decency and integrity and character to the White House. Uh, it's, it's just, it's, you see, I, I, I approach it with a lot of emotion and passion, having, having immigrated from the Philippines at the time when I experienced, my family experienced, uh, you know, an autocratic administration under Marcus, under the Marcus regime. And it, it, so what I am seeing in America now is not the America that I know. We need to restore decency and civility, dignity. We need to heal. We need to unite. We need to unite. And, and you know, I have never seen America so divided, and this is alarming to me as an American. it's alarming,
1: wow, especially you you, you like you said, coming from another place and becoming an American and see it the way you see it is is', is hard work, it's very powerful worlds
3: yes, yes, yes,
2: Rita, um as you said. In 2016, only 50% of the registered Filipino Americans voted. But we expect the turnout was much higher this year. And you, you were involved heavily in that, as was Tita Loida. So mm-hmm. how, do you, how did you raise the, the uh, not only the voter registration, but the percentage of Filipino Americans who went to the polls?
3: Um. That's a difficult question for me to answer in the sense that I do not have that political savvy of instituting policies that would encourage, I guess, and inspire Filipinos to vote. But I think just media, social media, you know, Filipinos like social media. You know, that's <laughs> one tool that can be utilized to reach out to them. Uh, I think we also need to raise the awareness about. About, you know, an America that that you know gives us the fulfillment of a dream. We need to to, to raise that awareness a little bit more. So ads, maybe, uh, you know, but looking out for Filipino Americans uh, to be elected into uh, political uh, positions. Um, and uh, and then use them as as the voice, and we have a seat at the table so that you know we can reach out to more Filipino Americans. One of the things, one of the challenges I think, uh, Harry, about Filipino voters, is their faith, their conservative faith about pro life and anti abortion. So that's that's. That's the yardstick that they use when they choose and elect a candidate. And so most of the time, they get disappointed, I guess. They get discouraged in going out and casting a vote uh, whenever they see that one candidate is stronger than the other. Perhaps that's, that's, that's my summation about that. But yes, we have to do better than just 50% uh, turnout.
1: Well, but I, but I think you're doing you're doing your part because uh, if if you're dropping if you're drawing out fifty percent out of six million, that's three million Americans, yes, Filipino Americans. So uh, I I yes. think it's always uh, room for improvement. I, I agree, but uh, right, I, I think like you said, you know, you just got to continue, um, right, and hopefully, still- and
3: hopefully, go ahead. And hopefully with with, uh, Biden coming in as the incoming president, the policies that he supports are, uh, how shall I say this, are attractive to the Filipino Americans. For example, uh, the immediate reversal of uh, some of the Trump's policies and what comes to mind is the separation of young children from their parents. You know, there are young children now whose parents cannot be found. And so this touches the Filipino-American heart. That's a policy that's attractive to us, that we support. The coronavirus, you know, the the the, the free testing for all and the hiring of 100,000 uh, to provide... Um, this um, as a national setup for free testing uh, and programs, you know, that's highly attractive to the Filipinos. Uh, raising of the minimum wage to $15, invest in green energy, you know, and uh, to help working class union workers. That's very attractive to Filipino-American voters, the build back better of the economy, you know, buying of uh, American goods and all that. Um, what, what is, what I really endorse and support strongly is rejoining the global climate accord, okay. you know. So under Biden, all of these things are hopefully going to be realized uh, and we can see changes, changes that, we, we, that are so desired at this time.
1: Well, that was one of the questions. Go ahead, Harry. I'm sorry, I think Tita,
2: also immigration reform. You know, some of the rules that President Trump put in made it harder for Filipinos to immigrate to the United States legally.
3: Correct, correct, that's that's on my list, that's on my list. Um, And, um, you know, uh, uh, this administration has become intolerant of the minorities which is contrary to the nation centuries old uh, tradition of welcoming immigrants. You know, racism has, has, has been uh, emboldened. You know, people are coming out of the woodworks all of a sudden. You know, I've never seen this before. You know, the racism is just so, oh my gosh. It gives me goosebumps every time I I read news about racist attacks and, and you know, George Floyd, the news about George Floyd, you know, it's just not, this has to end. It's exhausting. It's very exhausting. You know,
1: you know, I, I, I think one of the things that I, that I, that it impressed me the most uh, it, uh, or or shocked me, not impressed me, it's not the right word. Shocked me was that in today's times, I never understand when immigrants are against immigrants, <laughs> you know, and, and it's it is incredible right. how, how people have turned, I'd say against each other when they're immigrants and they're anti-immigrants. And I'm like, but you're immigrant also, why? You against? I, I don't understand yeah. that either.
3: And and there is uh, Americans are pitted against Americans. We're fighting each other, and we've never done this before. You know, and it's all because of these administrations in emboldening and encouraging that kind of passion amongst Americans, which is never I've never seen it before, and it's a concern. You know, it's it is a concern.
1: Wow! Wow! Well, with a concern, we're going to take a short break and we'll be right back.
0: Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. career advice, and a variety of other topics. Check us out today. You're sure to find something of interest. Voice America Variety, talk on today's hot topics. Join us every week for the spotlight with the ambassador and the chief. The ambassador is host Harry Thomas, and the chief is host Alex Morales. Together, they bring you different views on today's challenges, from politics to education, security, defense, and the economy. The ambassador and the chief, along with their guest experts, outline new perspectives and lively discussions. Tune in to The Spotlight, Wednesdays at 1 p.m. Eastern Time and 10 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel.
1: Stimulating talk gets those synapses in your brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one
2: Internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com.
0: You are listening to The Spotlight with the Ambassador and the Chief. If you have a question or a comment about the program, drop us a line via email to support at Solutions.com. Again, that's support at Solutions.com. Now back to The Spotlight.
1: And we're back with Ms. Rocio here. And Ms. Rocio, uh, What was your role with the book Disrupt to highlight the achievement of the Filipinas?
3: Okay. Uh, The book Disrupt is published by the Filipina Women's Network based in San Francisco, California. Uh, It's a book, a compilation of life stories about Filipinas um, who during its annual summit are uh, awarded as you know, there's an award of the 100 most influ- influential Filipinas in the world, and that's done during the summit. That's the highlight of the summit. Uh, and these are Filipino women recognized for, um, you know, influencing uh, the face of leadership in the global workplace, uh, because, you know, they have reached the status of, uh, of shall I say, outstanding work in their chosen careers and fields and their contributions to society. There are three editions. The Disrupt book has three editions right now. They've published three books, edition one, two, and three. My involvement is I am an author. I am an author, and in edition one, I wrote about, uh, the achievements of Lloyd Nicolas Nicholas Lewis. Uh, she asked me to write her life story, and I'm an author of that story. And I am also an author of edition two in the book, which writes about my life story, uh, having been awarded as one of the 100 most influential uh, Filipinas in the world in 2016. Oh, wow. And and then in the U.S. in 2012. So that's how I got involved with the book. You guys should get it and should read it. Because Absolutely. it's so impressive. It's a compilation of life stories of Filipinas and their achievements and their the marks that they made in the world. Uh, it's truly amazing that these Filipinas, there's so many, they're all over the world, globally, doing their own thing and making a mark in, in, the, in the communities that they, they are uh, involved in. Very, very uh, powerful books.
1: I, I think, I, did I have the privilege, Harry, to meet Miss Loyla? Yes, you did. Oh, I mean, that is amazing because you guys are the living proof of the American dream. I love the stories.
3: Exactly. These are immigrants. These are Filipino Americans in different parts of the world, you know, globally. And uh, globally, 100 Filipinas every year are chosen and awarded as the 100 most influential Filipinas in the world. And I'm proud to say that I got an award in the U.S. in 2012. And then globally in 2016. And Alex, if you give me your address, I'll send you the books.
1: Please, I would (laughs) love to. You're very kind. Yes, I I, I will give it to you.
3: Absolutely. Ambassador, you have a complete uh, set of books?
2: Yes, I I do. I've read them. And I'd like, why don't you tell our listeners a little bit about a couple of the women in the book, starting with Tita Loida. Because okay. everybody doesn't know her wonderful story. And it may be... Amazing. All right.
3: Let me find her. In As a matter of fact, I have the edition one of the book. Uh, but let's move on to the next question because I need to find her in the book. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, well, Lloyda Nicholas Lewis is a philanthropist. You know, um, she... She's well known in the sense that uh, she married uh, a black American, Reginald Lewis, who was uh, one, if not the richest black American at the time. You know, he unfortunately he passed away in 1990, but uh, Lloyd Nicholas Lewis in her own right is is uh, an achiever. Um, So I wrote uh, the story about her in the edition one of the book, and I wish I can find it. Oh, here it is. Okay, let me read. Would you like me to read an excerpt? Please. Yeah, okay. I found it. The subtitle uh, of this particular paragraph uh, is Assuming Responsibility for a 1.7 Billion Company. In February, 1994, Lloyda Nicholas Lewis took over the helm of TLC Beatrice International Holdings after the sudden death of her entrepreneur husband, attorney Reginald Lewis. During his life, Reginald Lewis was listed by Forbes magazine as one of the 400 wealthiest Americans in 1992. The story goes that Lloyda Nicholas Lewis started her corporate meetings with a prayer, And and with that goes, because the Lord God helps me, she said, I shall not be dismayed. But if anything speaks to the essence of Lloyd and Nicholas Lewis, it is her unassuming and strong in faith and planned arrival into global business. And the favorite prayer she chose, Isaiah uh, 50.7, therefore I have set my face like Flint to do his will, and I know that I will triumph. She was number one of the top 50 women business owners of America in 1995. She landed on the front cover of Working Woman magazine and was voted number one of the top 50 women business owners of America. Martha Ingram of Ingram Industries was second to to her in the list of 50. She was number one. Let's see. Her her leadership was tough and yet tender. The following years, Lloyd modified the course of the company and started by reducing the opulence that her late husband had relished. Her simplicity was evident when she sold the company jet and limousines, moved the company to more modest office space, sold the marginal companies, and persuaded Goldman Sachs and BT Securities to back a high-yield offering of $175 million during the company's first return to U.S. capital markets since a couple of aborted attempts during her husband's tenure. She also tamed the balance sheet by refin- refinancing some costly debt, readying the company to go public. She sold her business in China, uh, should I go on? <laughs> well, well, yeah. I I I
1: will I will have to say that I wish one of this day I could say my business worth is a hundred million dollars or something like that.
3: <laughs> <laughs> Why not? Why yeah. not? Uh, one has to uh, reach uh, the hands because. Uh, out of grasp, anything that's out of gra- grasp, you reach out for, for it. Because what is heaven for, Alex, if you don't?
1: That's true. Right? That's what I, that's what I always tell <laughs> Harry. I always tell Harry, hey, the worst thing that can happen is, no, it's an answer or it don't happen. You just continue Correct. striving, yeah. and striving, trying Correct. to figure out. There are so
2: many heroes or in that in the additions, Tita. Uh, right. you know, last night I spoke to the World Council Boston about US Philippine relations. And I always use and I spoke also to Alex's the children, the girls that Alex mentors. Mm. Mm-hmm. And your picture and Chrisetta Comfort mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. Bambi Lorica, you know I always use those.
3: Oh, yes, he yes, did.
1: He did use those pictures for the girls. That's true.
3: Yeah. Yes, the, the executive White House chef is a Filipina. Wow. And she served for five presidents as executive chef.
2: <laughs> That's amazing. So, so many.
3: She's also in the book, by the way. She's also in the Disrupt book.
2: Now, she's a wonderful person. <laughs> Um, I remember sitting next to her at, at, at the country club as uh, she was evaluating and tasting food. It was wonderful. But I would, you know, one of the things as we continue, before we continue, um, what, are you, what would you like to see President-elect Biden do with his relations with the Philippines?
3: Ah, that's a very good question. Immigration. Mm -hmm. The immigration policy has to be a little, uh, has to be, how shall I say this, Harry? Uh, Has to be immigrant friendly. I mean, you know, of course we have to vet them. Of course we have to qualify them. But there should be no such thing as, you know, building walls and separating children from their parents. For the Philippines in particular, you know, immigration should be one that would be more uh, sensitive to qualifications, professional qualifications, you know? That should be a, a good consideration.
2: Well, we have so many nurses, uh, physical nurses, therapists- Nurses, exactly. Come from the Philippines and clearly they have uh, really helped the American mosaic. Uh, Correct. But we are so impressed with the business people like our, our good friend, Sheila Marcello. Uh-huh. uh-huh. Com, who's uh, just another wonderful story of immigration as she went to Mount Holyoke and has uh,
3: right.
2: become a multimillionaire through her, her own business with her.
3: Care, right. yeah, her business care, yeah.
2: So it is yeah. something that we are impressed uh, impressed about. Um, I would, my personal first is I would hope that the United States works with the entire world, but especially the Philippines and others uh, to help sp- increase testing for COVID-19 and mm-hmm. vaccines to the Philippines. You know, that, I'm always reminded Alex is an army officer retired, but our in the Philippines our closest relations are with the Philippines um, the armed forces of the Philippines, and mm-hmm. I think it would be a great thing for us to continue our distribution of this uh, COVID nineteen testing kits as well as vaccine and work yeah. with as we do uh, as right. our, our does with the Philippine military to to end this, this dread.
3: Yeah. And then restoring the foreign policy and on foreign policy, uh, restoring the reputation um, in the world, you know, and maybe trade agreements between the Philippines and the United States to help the country, you know, things like that.
2: Well, one of the you know, one of the things we learned this year was we were very much dependent on China for everything. Correct. I'm a big proponent of (laughs) alternative supply lines. Mm-hmm. And we import a lot of semiconductors for cars from the Philippines while we mm-hmm. work with the Philippines and other countries around the world on becoming alternative suppliers to China.
3: Right, right. Yeah. I,
1: think one, I think one of the things that, that this pandemic has, uh, has demonstrated is that without the immigrant, the economy of the United States will not move. You know, we're talking about the the workers in the meat industry, the growers, and the people that put uh, transportation and... and The
3: essential workers. The essential essential workers, workers. yes. 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 The nurses, the nurses in particular. My son is a nurse. He's a frontliner, you know, and there are, if I'm not mistaken, there are 150,000 Nurses, right now, Filipina nurses, Filipino oh, wow. nurses wow. Uh, all wow. over the United States, oh, yeah. um, well,
2: frontliners, many who lost frontliners, right, during this time, as well as you know, many of our cardiac nurses, as well as our uh, kidney transplant nurses, are Filipinas, and Filipinas. Yeah. so that is important. But teacher, a friend of my, a friend of ours, uh, when Mayor De Blasio did a an ad supporting uh, the Filipino community and thanking the nurses and frontline workers, I saw some coffee with some nurses, and I realized it was my friend, uh, a Filipino who immigrated, who was also supplying the coffee. So they. Oh, okay. <laughs> Uh, That's good. (laughs) Yes, it was. You know, you have to have have a side business. (laughs) Yes,
3: yes. Right. Yeah.
1: Well, Rocio, we're getting close to the end. Uh, Can you please tell us, uh, you are generous for your time helping others via community development and support. How and why do you do this critical work?
3: It's... Like I said, it's paying it forward. This country has been very kind to me and my family. I was three years after we immigrated, Alex. I'd like to share a personal experience. Three years after we immigrated, my husband passed away suddenly. So I was left with five kids. Oh, wow. My youngest was seven and my oldest was 19. Okay, five of them. So America has been very kind to me in that although it closed one door, it opened many doors for me. In the Philippines, back in the Philippines, I was a businesswoman. I did not report to an employer. So it was a new experience for me to seek employment, you know. And over the years... Why I say America has been kind, because it recognized my abilities. It, I did not feel any discrimination in the workplace. You know, uh, of course, you know, I sat among men from Ivy, educated in Ivy schools with, you know, policies and strategies that uh, were taken out of the books. But I, I approached it on a more practical sense. And the owners of the company recognized me for that. So this is the kindness that I experienced to me and my five children. I have prospered. And because of that, Alex, I'd like to pay it forward. I'd like other Filipino Americans in my community to community, uh, experience the same kindness that I and my family experienced. I am a, I'm very sentimental in that sense because I am a proof of an immigrant who achieved and fulfilled the American dream. I have, I have never experienced wanting for lack of finances even after I was widowed. So America to me is the symbol, the ultimate symbol of human rights, freedoms, democracy, and sensibilities to immigrants like me. And because of that, I become passionate. When there is a cause, I jump in. I contribute what I can do. I I I open all of my resources because I'd like people, immigrants like me, to have that same experience. Well, thank I'm a sentimental fool, I guess. But that's 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 coming from the heart.
2: Thank you so much. We wish you and your family Merry Christmas. We wish all of our listeners a Merry Christmas. Uh, I will let Alex uh, say goodbye, but Maligayang Pasco.
3: Maligayang Pasco. At Manigong Bagong Taon. Alex, that means Merry Christmas and Happy New Year.
1: wife thank you. God bless. Thank you very God much bless. for everything. Thank you for your time. You're very kind, and I wish you the best. And I'll send you the disrupt
3: the books if you send me your address. I will. Okay. Thank you very much. Right. That was the spotlight thank you for with for Alex.
2: Salamat, Salamat.
3: Salamat, but I mean Salamat.
0: Thank you for tuning into the spotlight with the Ambassador and the Chief. Be sure to join Chief Alex Morales and Ambassador Harry Thomas again next Wednesday at ten AM Pacific Time and one PM Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. We'll talk again next week.